0: Hello, hello, I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Annalisa Okipinti, Lecturer in Data Analytics at Tside University. Analisa holds a PhD in Computer Science from the University of Cambridge and has recently received several awards for her outstanding contribution in the field of machine learning, big data and cancer research. In her current role, not only she develops models for cancer research, She also teaches business analytics and supports businesses with their BI and machine learning needs. In this episode, she walks you through how data science is supporting cancer research with models enabling early detection and providing clinicians with information allowing them to prescribe an adequate treatment based on the individual's genomic profile. She talks about the data she analyzes, how she deals with missing values, and how the models are built. Also working closely with businesses, she then goes on to discuss the differences between academia research and industry. Just a heads up, this episode goes a bit deeper in the technical details than our usual episodes, so get ready for it. And lastly... I'm sorry, but Analisa's headset created a bit of an electrical sound, so if your ears are sensitive, you might feel a bit of discomfort, and I apologize for that. A transcript will be available shortly on the Wit website, if that helps. Let's get to it. Hi, Analisa. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women in Data podcast. Thank you for inviting me it's it's funny because we are recording right now i am in italy and you just came back to the uk from italy so mm. it's, uh, it yeah. should be the other way around but yeah yes. <laughs> small world i was thinking we would actually both be in italy while we we're recording this but yeah you came back
1: already yeah, teaching is starting soon so we are back to normal now that's
0: very true i had forgotten about that <laughs> Annalisa, we are going to talk about a topic that is so close to my heart and I I bet is important for so many people. You work in research, but specifically in cancer research, and you're going to share with us everything that you're doing in that domain and how things are going, but also some a bit more on your role and all the models you're using. So could I first ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, As you say, I'm Annalisa, I'm, I'm Italian. I did my degree in, uh, in mathematics in Italy and then I went to Cambridge for my PhD. During the PhD, uh, I studied computational biology, which is using mathematics and computer science for understanding biology or explaining biology. And then I went to Teesside University as a lecturer where I am now. But my job title is Lecture in Data Analytics. So I look at after the data analytics in terms of teaching, while for the, for the research, I do research in cancer. So it's like applying my knowledge in maths and computer science to help understanding something more about cancer and helping people.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk about how the, the two sides of your jobs link together in a moment. But for now, why cancer research? Oh, it's it, it all started with during my degree. I
1: did mathematics and applied mathematics in Italy, in Catania. And it was very theoretical, which I loved it. But then at some point you realize that you want to apply all this knowledge to something. And that's what happened during my PhD. I had to look for a field, for an application of mathematics. And I think medicine and cancer was the most interesting application because that meant that I could apply something that I liked to help people. So this was the, the beginning of everything, we could say.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate to that. It's just until my I did my master's, I had next to no clue about what I could do with a degree <laughs> in math. <laughs> it was, with mathematics, what can I do? I can teach. No, there are other things out there. <laughs> so when you did mathematics, did you do this, this statistical modeling, maybe what we would call data science today? Actually,
1: no. I did lots of algebra and calculus and differential equations. It was all very theoretical. So there was very few applications. That's why, at the beginning, the reason I started mathematics was because I wanted to be a maths teacher. Join the club. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, I did. uh, After my PhD, I've been teaching for three years mathematics uh, here in the northeast and it was a really good experience, really interesting. But the the initial idea was to being a teacher during the day and do, and then doing my, my own research in the evening. But, of course, being a teacher, it's like a full-time job, yeah. include, including weekends as well. So there was not much time left for research. So at the end, I decided to apply for a lectureship. So I could still teach, but at the same time doing research, which is what I, I was hoping for. So I, I do have quite good balance now between the teaching side that I still enjoy a lot and then the research side to learn more and help people in uh, in cancer.
0: That does sound like a good compromise. I feel with everything you've said, (laughs) funny, I feel like we've done almost the same kind of education. I didn't go to the PhD, but all the differential equations and algebra and all that thing sounds very, very familiar to me. So... Could you talk a bit more about the research you're doing right now? What What's the aim and what it is that you do?
1: Yeah, my main research is based on um, cancer genomics. So we're trying to understand why some people are responding in a, in a positive way and why others are responding in a negative way to the same treatment. And this links to the genomic profile of each patient. So what we're going to try to do is look at the DNA specifications and trying to make sense or trying to find the relationship between the values or the genes that are expressed in the patient and their response to the treatment and the overall idea is to find some genes that are called biomarkers so some key genes that could help us predicting the survival of the patients so that in a future world we could just take a sample a blood sample from a patient and look for those genes and and by analysing the level of those genes, tell the patients or the clinician, look, this patient with this specific genomic profile has got quite good chance of surviving with this treatment while this other one is in a more advanced stage and this treatment will not work.
0: So that would all be for people who have already been diagnosed with cancer
1: yeah. And at the same time, there are other projects in parallel for early diagnosis of cancer, breast cancer. So we're trying to detect some features, again, at genomic level that could tell us what is the likelihood of developing cancer in the future.
0: Okay. So that's such a great work and so important as well. These are definitely things you we need. What I find particularly interesting is Yes, the early detection, although I think I would be scared to death to go through that experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> experience because you're like waiting for the results. What's going on? Well. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the yeah. things you are talking about in really identifying whether a treatment would work for someone because these treatments are so aggressive. So at least knowing yeah. that you're doing the treatment that's going to work for you is very important. And so does that mean once you've looked at the genes and everything, you're going to be able to look at different treatments for different people? Yeah, the, the idea will be to find
1: the best treatment for each patient. So for each genomic profile, we could link or we could select the best treatment among the all treatments that are currently available. And this will be a tool available for clinicians who could just use or take the the genomic profile of the patient, and then this tool will return the possible treatments that could be applied for that specific person. And this works with, of course, there is lots of statistics in the background, as you can imagine, because the DNA is quite a long sequence of information, so we can't just do uh, everything by hand or... And that's where the statistics and all the knowledge that have all the things that I've learned during my degree are coming very useful, because I can now apply them in a useful way, just to help other people.
0: Yeah, in a useful and very very impactful way as well. So you did say that you can now apply what you learned to so all the theory that you learned during your PhD and all your studies. You can apply it to your research now. Yeah. How how would you explain the process? How does it work? Well, it all starts with the data. So we, we usually get data
1: from public repositories. So there are like websites or portals or some organizations that have been collecting lots of data and they're making them publicly available online. So the process starts from the collection of the data and then there is the data pre-processing because these are quite big data. So we need to clean them, trying to sort the problem of missing values, yeah. because you know when we work with data we do have all the same problems. So it all goes through this pre-processing and then comes the most interesting part, which is the selection of the model that we're gonna to apply to detect those key genes. And this is when AI and machine learning are coming into place. When I started my PhD we were we were using Cox regression which is like the most used type of regression for for survival analysis, which is the type of analysis that we're doing. So trying to detect or try to predict how long that patient will live for what is the survival likelihood in the next future. So I was using Cox regression and now uh, there are new models that are based on machine learning and AI that are integrating Cox regression inside. So what we're going to do is we're trying to use the, the last developed models in the field to identify or to get the highest accuracy between the input data, which is the genomic data, and the output data, which is the survival probability or the likelihood of being alive in, in the next month, two months or three months and so on, and knowing the survival probability will help clinician in um, selecting the best treatment because, as you can imagine, if a patient is a high risk, they will need quite aggressive treatment. On the other side, if the algorithm detects that that patient with that specific genomic profile is at low risk, they can just get a more mild treatment. And again, this is done through a model which is mainly based on uh, machine learning and AI.
0: Yeah. So would you say these models are hybrid models? Because you said before you were using the, the Cox model and now you're using models that are integrating that one. Does that mean they're integrating this in and another one or is it, are they just using that one? Scene? Yeah. Uh, it all starts
1: with statistics. So even machine learning and AIs, I, I keep thinking of them as an expansion of statistics. So the Cox regression was, I would say, the first basic model that was uh, implemented, was developed for this type of problem. And now this has been integrated in a sense that is now made part of a bigger framework. The bigger framework is probably now people have heard about neural networks or other types of AI algorithms like random forests or KNN. So people are familiar with this type of models. And Cox regression can be Put inside or integrated by adjusting the loss of those algorithms. So if you think about neural networks, if if you think about the loss function that we are using when training the model, we can integrate the Cox regression information in form of lock likelihood to obtain the highest accuracy and help the model predicting the correct class, either high risk or low risk in terms of likelihood of dying. This case for cancer patients.
0: All right. But I think this is the most technical episode I've run so far. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'll try not to go then this. I... It's absolutely fascinating. And I love it because I think I have a similar background to yours, but I don't go as deep in the technicalities of model building and all these things at work. So it, it's good to see how all these things are applied. And something I'm very curious about is you mentioned earlier the treatment of missing values, what do you do with your missing values? Do you remove them? Do you do an average? Do you, what mm. do you do?
1: Yeah, it's this is like an open question. We could stay here forever talking about <laughs> missing values. Uh, but yeah, it depends on the te- technology that has been used for collecting those gene expression values. Some platforms provide a technique or they come with a library in R or in Python that helps you in the process of filling in those missing values. In terms of guideline, what we usually do is if 70% or more of the data is missing for that specific gene, we'll remove the full gene expression. Uh, if it's less than 70%, uh, we can then use imputation techniques or, again, there are lots of libraries there, they kind of use the neighbor's values to replace the missing values. And that's what what we're doing. We usually replace it. Rather than using the mean or the median value, we tend to use more sophisticated algorithms just because these were provided by the company that developed that or that collected that specific data. So they can help you replacing those values in a more accurate way than just doing the mean or the median.
0: Okay, great. And now I, I guess all that, so you, this is one part of your job and then the other part is actually teaching, but you are teaching business intelligence and data analytics. How does that link with your research? Yeah, actually it's
1: quite linked, even it's, if it seems totally disconnected. It's, um, the models that we are using are the same. It's probably the output that's different. But the model uh, that I'm teaching and uh, when we talk about business intelligence are, are the same that we're using for, for cancer, for cancer research. And the reason being is that in business, we do have the same problem that we have when we work with cancer data. So we have the big data problem. We have the problem of data cleaning, the data pre-processing. We have the problem of selecting the best model to get some information out of that big data. So the, the process is exactly the same. The only difference is the mod is the type of data we are dealing with. So in that case, replacing missing values with the mean uh, makes sense. Yeah, uh, and the output of course is is different. Sometimes um, you want to get some insight about the business, so you want to either a specific classification algorithm or uh, more a regression algorithm if you want to predict the profits of that business in two years or three years' time. So it's more probably based on a forecast in terms of profits, in terms of insight for the business. So it's something more business-related, of course, but the process behind it is... I think it's quite similar. I can think of it as uh, two parallel lines, just to use maths. The starting point is the only difference because we do have big data in cancer and big data in business intelligence. But then the process to work with that type of data is quite similar. So they're they not so far.
0: Yeah, and you did mention, so for your research, you would use sophisticated model to deal with the missing values. But when you look at business things using the the mean or the median is is okay so would you say that this is because you don't need as much accuracy uh, when working on business problems yeah
1: that's that's one reason and then also because when we collect data in business uh, they are usually coming from a database Mm -hmm. so they are transactions so if there is a missing data we can easily replace it with another number that single number will not Will not have that much effect on the rest of the model while when we talk about genes we need to be really careful because that's a person so we need to be more careful in replacing those missing value with the right values
0: yeah i guess especially when you think of the applications of your research you definitely yeah. don't want to get it right because someone's life is at risk when i was working in paris I was working with a company that was at the time called ARDF, and what they do is basically they, they're the company that brings electricity to people's house. And what very different from consumer research, but we were also using these kind of models to to predict people's consumption, because if basically the customers consume more electricity, then ARDF would have to buy electricity from somewhere and pay a fine because they didn't predict things properly. And my role there was to look at the impact of using averages on missing values. And the end of that was that they didn't have any negative impact. So using averages for missing values was actually okay yeah. for them. But I guess they were also using um, margin of safety in their predictions and So yeah, it is great to see, you know, how different people are dealing with missing values and the fact that you're saying that based on what problem you have to solve, one method might be more not accurate, but appropriate than specific or suitable
1: for that. And just to follow up on that, when we work with businesses, they do have a lot of data, very big data. While when we work with cancer data, we don't have as many patients. So the samples are much less compared to number of genes that you have in the DNA. So we have also that problem that we don't usually have in business. So business, if we keep thinking about the numbers of transactions, they are really high. But when we talk about cancer research, in my specific problem, we do work with matrices with thousands and thousands of um, rows and just probably 200 columns so we need to be really careful when replacing a value or when trying to fill in missing values yeah
0: that makes sense so how did you how do you say would you say that working on the business problems has impacted your research it has helped me in
1: uh, seeing other applications for my research as well. So now I'm not just doing cancer research. I'm also working with businesses to help them developing new algorithms for uh, making clever decisions for the future. But at the same time, I'm getting to know more or different algorithms that I wouldn't have uh, had the chance to get into or to learn if I were just staying focused on cancer research. So it's it is helping me a lot in learning new processes and also in learning new ways of exploring my data as well in that starting part of the, uh, data pre-processing, the data exploratory
0: part. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm listening to you and I'm thinking how busy you must be because it feels like you have three different jobs. <laughs> yeah, it feels to me as well. <laughs> probably have four. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, current You know, it's like when you when you like what you do, it's like it, it doesn't matter if, if you spend lots of time doing it. It's just something that you do because you like it. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, even if it's like a three jobs, it's just yeah, I, I do like it, so it's not that much. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's great. What what advice, analisa would you give to someone who wants to go from research to business or the other way around? Yeah. I think at the moment they can be really close to each
1: other, especially now all the business are, at least most businesses are investing in research. So if people are working in business, they have chance to work on a research project for their company. So I don't see that much of a difference nowadays between work, being in a business and doing research. The only difference is, uh, of course, on, on the topic Because, of course, if you work on a company, you're doing a research for that company, you need to do in that specific direction because the company needs to get profits and needs to get something out of your project. While when we work in research as an academic, you do have a bit more freedom because that's your project. You're going to get funding to work on that project, but you can decide the directions that you want to give to that project if you want to apply a model rather than another one. While in a business, you feel a bit more constrained, and I think that's also part of the job. So the the only uh, thing that I could say is that there isn't much of a difference. But it depends if people love that freedom of researching what they want, or they are more comfortable in researching something as part of a given project. So like working in a business, that's the only difference I can I, I can think between the two. And then it uh, depends on what people prefer if they like to be guided through the process. So to work on a business yeah. or being more free in the research. So to work as an academic.
0: So that would be doing research for a business versus doing research as an academic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think doing business, business is a bit different because turnarounds are much faster. Yeah. And uh, that, that means you also have that. Yeah. That time pressure, that's a, that means that you can't explore as much as you would in yeah. research. And if I can
1: answer that question of people that are just working in a business, like not doing research, and they want to get into research, I think that that's still a possibility, especially nowadays when uh, in academia we are looking for a lot of applications. So I can see that the new people are coming uh, at Teesside University, they are coming from industry as well so it's like people are bringing their expertise and using their expertise to teach a student and to apply their expertise to to research so I think that jump is also possible and again it depends on what people are interested in
0: yeah and one last question before we close the episode is there anything that you read or listen to that helps you in your career and personal development?
1: I don't really have something that's uh, my favorite, but I do uh, use Google Scholar a lot. So it keeps me updated, let's say, on the last latest research. And then I subscribed to a lot of data analytics or data science or AI for, uh, for cancer weekly newsletter so i get the latest updates on on my inbox straight away and then i can check from there that's the easiest way because as you say they have almost four jobs so i don't have time to go around and read but once it comes in your inbox y- you have to take time to read and if there is something interesting then i'll uh, i'll follow that up but google is my best resource for reading i don't have books that i like to say i really like that book but I usually go from one book to another depending on the chapter that I'm interested in. And they are all mainly based on machine learning and quite a few now on business intelligence as well.
0: Yeah, you know what I find interesting is you are saying you don't have that many books to recommend. When someone is trying to break into data science, the first question they ask me is, "Oh, do you have any books recommendation? And every time I talk to someone, they're telling me, I don't read books. So yeah. everybody finds things on the internet, but I don't know why people are coming into the field are expecting to be given books. And that's, that's an interesting one. I, I would love to know the answer to that. Yeah. I, I think the
1: only answer is there are some nice books on uh, introductions to mathematics. So you can just tell them to start reading about mathematics. Oh, but yeah. even that after a while, you just, you just kind of switch off. You, ca- you will never be able to read a full book from the beginning till the end while doing a full-time job or while doing a degree. The only tip that I give to my students is, or to people that ask me, is find a problem and then try to learn all the possible ways to solve that problem. So, I don't know, using Google or there are lot, lots of tutorials nowadays on data science. So I think start from a problem and then try to solve that problem. I use a lot Kaggle I don't know if you know it. Yeah, I always point students to that website because it's really good for learning new things and learning from others that are developing similar problems. You know, that's what I do in my research as well. I don't know anything about everything, but I try to learn step-by-step based on on the problem that I'm facing at the moment and then the next one and the next one.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Annalisa. Thank
1: you for inviting me, Karen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.